this is Liren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Nicole Cardone and Deborah Gorman, the co-founders of Sorbabes. Since 2012, they've been on a mission to give sorbet the respect it deserves. With their bold flavors and creamy sorbet bars, they're out to revolutionize the way we think of sorbet. I am so excited to welcome Nicole and Deborah to the podcast. Hey there. Hi. I am so excited to meet you both, but I always start by asking, what's the first thing you ever cooked and you guys can take turns? And about how old were you? Nicole, let's start with you. Yeah, so my earliest memory of cooking anything was French toast. And I remember watching my father. My father was the cook in my house, not my mother. And my father making it and just being intrigued, like, oh, it just soaks everything up. And like, it was just fun as a kid to like dip your hands and get messy and, um, you know, the result was delicious. So that was definitely my first memory. Oh, I love it. So your dad was the cook in your house? Yes. Yes, he was. And is that where you learned how to cook in general or? Pretty much. It was really my father and I'm a super foodie. And so I think, you know, having him cook fresh meals all the time and going to the grocery store with him. And it was always just kind of like the thing that we did and going to the grocery store. I grew up in Alaska. So Uh-oh. produce was precious up there. It was very expensive and not always the freshest, best stuff. So we would have, you know, a grocery trip trying to find things that looked good and in season. And it was definitely a big part of growing up in Alaska was trying to eat fresh and, you know, cook a lot. So I can't imagine the challenge. What part of Alaska did you grow up? Anchorage. Okay, so you were yeah. you were in the city. So I was in the big city. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you know berries and fruits. I mean, it was just you know it, it was like ten dollars for a little thing of strawberries, and they would be old. And you know, I remember those Japanese pear apples were five dollars a piece, and that was my treat as a kid. If I was really good, I could get a five dollar apple. You know, yeah. I totally get what you mean by precious. I can't even imagine. That's amazing, Deborah. How about you? Um, so my first memories are with my grandmother in the kitchen. She, she was the like, you know, matriarch in our family, and she was an amazing cook. Like she, she just cooked all kinds of like incredible gourmet meals. So I remember cooking breakfast with her. I remember cooking like our like our family is Greek and Turkish from that side, and so I remember cooking like those specialty foods as well. But the earliest memory I have of cooking is probably making like French toast in her kitchen. And just like, you know, making sure that the the toast like really soaked up all the eggs and that everything was really, you know, like was her thing is like to be soaked all the way through before we, you know, we cook it. I just remember those like little things that like have stuck with me for, you know, my whole life, like remembering how. I love how your destinies were already determined at such a young age. I mean, you were determined Mm -hmm. to become friends. (laughs) French toast, I mean. Yeah, Yeah. that's so funny. French toast friends. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, could you each tell me or everybody a little bit more about yourself and what brought you to the world of sorbet? Well, Deborah, I'll start here because I feel like the whole sorbet thing really came from, and maybe now that I think about it, my obsession with fresh fruits because I was never really able to access them much growing up. So um, in college, I would go to the farmer's market in New York City and all of the farmers had this beautifully tree ripened fruit that wasn't going to last another day. And so at the end of the market and they were closing up, um, it was basically going to go to waste. And so I would get big bags of 
you know, say over-ripened peaches that were just juicy and ready to be eaten um, for a really good price. And so I would go home with those and I would make them into a sorbet. And I was living in a in a building with a whole bunch of young students as well. And I would share it with everyone. And it was just like the most delicious sorbet experience. And I remember one day not having the um, the time to make the sorbet or the fruit and I went to the grocery store to get some sorbet because normally I'm like an ice cream person. But um, all the sorbets were just like, ugh, like in that, they were just, it was so lackluster and, and not interesting. And um, I was always a big Ben and Jerry's fan and um, you know, being able to eat the chunks with a fork. And so starting to incorporate that into my homemade sorbet with chunks of cookies and um, like crumble bits. And I just feel like that was where the inspiration came from. And I had this aha moment where I was like, I, I wanted to do something with sorbet. And I had no culinary skills. I, you know, it was just like whatever I could do in the kitchen. And that was where I was introduced to Deborah. And she really helped take sorbets to the next level and, and really bring it to life. So how did you, Deborah, meet Nicole? So we had, we were match made. Um, we, <laughs> I worked with her. So we worked together. Um, the time I was working as a private chef, like I, my background is in food. Like I, I worked in kitchens in New York for many years at like fine dining restaurants, like I worked at Blue Hill Stone Barns with you know Dan Barber, and that, that that was a very influential experience in my life of like appreciation of like farm produce and you know understanding how to work with vegetables and and appreciating like special our food is. And I and then after that I worked in pastry and did and I made sorbet um, at another rest other Italian restaurant that I worked at, um, Avoce in New York. And after that after that I decided after working kitchens for about five years, I um, decided to try out being a private chef. And I worked with Nicole's mom in the Hamptons. I was working in the summer. I, I lived in the house where I worked and it was really amazing. We like lived on the beach. It was a beautiful, beautiful spot and um, worked very closely with Jean, Nicole's mother-in-law. And when Nicole was working on this project, she said, you know, Jean was like, you have to meet Deborah. Like the two of you just, you know, she kind of knew our energy and who we were and just really knew that we would we had similar kind of work ethic and excitement and entrepreneurial and you know aspirations uh so she introduced us and that was amazing because it's like we always talk it's one thing to like be friends with someone and start a business with them but we became friends like through our business and that was really special because i think we've always had this you know we've had this common appreciation of like our work and what we do and our friendship has always like revolved around that and it's been really um it's been a really rewarding, like I almost feel Nicole's like a sister to me at this point because we've gone through so much together and, you know, it's been, it's been really amazing to, to have a partner like her and, and have each other to rely on during this business because it's been, there's a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. I think what makes work in general, no matter what field you're in, so rewarding is the people that you work with. You can theoretically love what you do in your job but if you are working with awful people it yeah. just you know that really colors your experience so I'm so glad that you guys have been able to develop a friendship and a bond through all of this yeah so all right who came up with the name sore babes because that's too fun you guys <laughs> I, I wish we could say we were the clever ones um 
but we actually used to, uh, before we had a manufacturing facility, we would um, rent space in the middle of the night at a local Brooklyn ice cream shop. And the ice cream guys, when they were leaving and we were coming in at like 11 o'clock at night, would always say, oh, the sore babes are here. Oh my and, gosh. and it was funny. We were like, do they just call us the sore babes? Like, that's really <laughs> kind of funny. And then we were sort of wanting to run with the name and and we were questioning whether or not we wanted to be referred to as babes and yeah. you know there's a stigma maybe around that that word or was longer ago I mean, we've been doing this for 10 years now and um we just decided that it was our opportunity to take back the meaning of that name and define it for ourselves and our branding and the way that we represented ourselves and our business professionally and and it's really just sort of a gender neutral term of endearment. I feel like I call my husband babe, I call my kids babe, you know, I just, so we we really sort of, it took us a minute, but we decided to run with it, so. No, I love it. And it, it speaks to how you guys, you know, work together as a woman-owned team and company, and I love that. Um, okay, so I love Zerbe, I always have. Um, yours takes it to the next level. And what I love about it is that it probably redefines what people think of when they think of sorbet. So what makes your sorbet so different? I think, so Cole mentioned um, Ben and Jerry's, which is like, we both grew up eating and appreciate. And I think there's something about the indulgence of, you know, inclusions, which are like pieces and toppings and, and having more than just a one single like single flavor of sorbet. So like a lot of times you get lemon, you have a lemon sorbet or a raspberry sorbet and it's one dimensional. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. have pieces or chunks or swirls or any sort of indulgence factor to it. And I think what we wanted was like the amazing, beautiful qualities of fruit, but yet take it up a notch. So it's more like a, you know, specialty ice cream and have that experience of making it, you know, creamy and tart and juicy and, you know, making, you know, there was, there's a lot of buzz around non-dairy ice cream right now because it's a growing trend and people are looking to, you know, alternatives to dairy and sorbet is just, a, you know, it's like authentically dairy free. And, mm -hmm. you know, we realized people were also like ourselves missing that sort of chocolate chunk or that piece and that crunch that you get when you have, you know, an indulgent ice cream experience. So we brought that indulgence to sorbet. And I think that, um, you know, back to the Italians, <laughs> I feel like some Italians are like, this is not sorbet. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> this is like, this is not our traditional sorbet. And I'm using my hands right now, but you can't see me. <laughs> you can imagine what I'm doing. But I, um, like, so it's, it's just taking sorbet of what I'd be expected, you know, and making it so much more indulgent and so much more crave worthy. And I think that's really what our bars do. Yeah. And actually, Deborah, I didn't mention one of the things that really set us apart initially when we started making sorbet was, you know, sorbet by definition is a, you know, a fruit and water base rather than using cream. Um, and Deborah found a way to use nut butters instead of fruit puree. So just imagine taking a nut butter and blending that up with sort of a, a sweetened water and you get the, all the fat and the, the hearty sort of fiber from the nut butter, which is so rich and creamy. And it created a sorbet experience that was exactly like ice cream, but without dairy. It was really, really amazing and innovative and disruptive for the category. And I think that brought us a lot of attention. I am personally super excited about this because lately, this is a little, a little information for you guys, <laughs> but I have been suspecting that I am lactose intolerant, which is 
a lot for me because I've always enjoyed things like ice cream and cheese and, you know, all the, all the dairy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think for me, like not having that cold icy treat is, you know, the, the more challenging thing. So the idea of having a creamy sorbet with all the yummy mix-ins, cause I, I definitely lived on Ben and Jerry's in college too, <laughs> um, is so exciting to me because then I don't feel like I'm missing out, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think that the the challenge with sorbet is that, you know, sometimes you want, especially maybe if it's winter time, you want maybe that richer fatty experience, yes. that creaminess. And so with the nut butter flavor, you're able to achieve that. I mean, Deborah made the most amazing pistachio sorbet with a salted caramel swirl that was just to die for. It was so creamy, just like eating. I mean, we had Italians actually try this product like straight from Italy ice cream makers that were like this is amazing ice cream the gelato we're like it's not it's sorbet and they were like what are you talking what? about yeah <laughs> no it's not so um yeah and I think that it was it was really amazing and we did like peanut butter and fudge and all these great flavors um ca cafe almond and one of the challenges I think we faced when we were growing the business was you know having these amazing flavors and selling them at a farmer's market where we could sample the customer and they could taste it and then you know they would buy it and take it home because they knew it's amazing but when you put something like that on a shelf that's so disruptive to a category consumers don't always know what what they're going to get and so they're not going to risk spending eight dollars on this gourmet pint of ice cream if they might not like it so people didn't know what what, what is pistachio sorbet is it going to be an icy green water ice you know like i think that people didn't really understand it and what we found was that when we started making the sorbets into bars like a bar and then dipping them it it sort of helped customers understand that it was going to be a more ice cream like experience and and we we sort of took that as we have evolved over the, the years and now what we have is a line of bars and we no longer sell the pints um, and maybe we'll bring them back one day but we're finding that people are really gravitating to the bars and novelties right now it also i think it's just easier to grab and go single serving but yeah, I think that that's kind of, it's, it's been interesting to watch consumers' responses to something that is so unique and new. Yeah, you know, you touch on something that I was going to ask you about, because for me, a farmer's market, when I see the farmers or the vendors interact with their customers, that probably is one of the more rewarding parts of being at a farmer's market. And then you also have a built-in focus group, because you can ask somebody right away, what do you think? Do you like it? And, you know, and when you put it on a shelf, there's no way for you to like pop in there and say, hey, this is what this is about. It's really, and you kind of have created like this whole new category of frozen dessert. So it definitely has, you know, it needs an explanation. Um, but what was your biggest lesson from the farmer's market experience? Deborah, you <laughs> so many, so many lessons. I mean, it was hard work. I mean, I think like a lot of people just, you know, I think it's not surprising that like, you know, working at a farmer's market, you know, bringing all your everyday setting up, you know, bringing all of your stuff there. It's, you know, especially the frozen product, like we had all these dry, ice, we had to bring dry ice and work with, um, you know, coolers, because we didn't have like a portable freezer or couldn't, you know, we didn't have like a truck with a freezer on it or anything like that. So we were constantly, you know, juggling dry ice and figuring out how to keep everything free. And I think 
those just logistical challenges give me a lot of appreciation for like distribution and how ice cream and how a lot of our products on our shelves today get to like where they are and how much, you know, how much, how much energy it takes. But I think what you, 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 the most interesting part was the focus group aspect, actually, like what you, you brought to attention just a moment ago. It's because we would hear like really good feedback from our customers. And I think it's also one of the first moments where we realized like, oh, we have something interesting and people really like this. And I think we weren't sure, like that was the whole idea of the farmer's market. It was like, test it out, see what customers think, get some information, try different flavors, see what sells. And I think, um, you know, those, that was a really valuable experience. And having had that, you know, hard couple of years in the beginning where we were, you know, hand tying labels on everything and making sure, you know, we had like sampling like crazy and trying to get people to try it. Those, those moments were really, really valuable because we just learned a lot about our product and why, where we are and why, are, why it's unique and what customers are looking for. Yeah, I can only imagine how, how valuable that was. So in terms of developing your flavors, what inspires your flavors? And, and Deborah, did your experience as a private chef like inform some of the flavors that you guys developed together? I, yeah, I guess so. I, um, I think, you know, it's funny. We developed some quite fun, interesting flavors early on, and those actually sold quite well at the farmer's market. So to kind of add on to the, the interesting thing about farmer's markets is that, you know, you can sell the like, we always, our favorite example is um, the cucumber white wine mint, which was like probably one of my favorite flavors. It was basically a cucumber sorbet, you know, with, with local wine from the local vineyard in the Hamptons and, um, you know, fresh mint. And it was delicious. It was super refreshing. It wasn't, it had chunks of actually of cucumber that I had like kind of, you know, oh. it was like sweetened cucumber bits. So, cause cucumber is really like melon. It's like in the same family as a melon. True. So it really was just like a really bright kind of, unique flavor and that one didn't sell at all when we put it on the shelf in a supermarket so some of the local markets picked us up and unless someone was like telling you about it or you had tasted it like people who had no experience with like a sorbet that was made out of cucumbers just were like is this gazpacho like what is this you know they couldn't understand it Uh and so that was just really interesting because it's like it was definitely the top seller at the farmer's market and didn't sell at all in you know at and in um, supermarket. So mm-hmm. when I come up with flavors, when we come up with flavors, because Nicole and I are very, very collaborative experience, like we'll, you know, have ideas, we'll bounce back and forth, we'll think about, you know, what other flavors we already have, and how how the new flavors will fit into our lineup, and what customers are, you know, into these days, I'm trying to like, you know, think about what we want, plus try to figure out what our our target consumers are into. I think now it's more of like, it's like, I miss the kind of creative days where we'd come up with like a Pilsner peach flavor or, you know, do some like wild, like, I don't know, it was like I had, it was yellow watermelon basil. Like there were just like those fun, like interesting flavors that we did early on that I, that were just great and sort of super fun to make. And then as now where we are now is like finding the flavors that are just really the most indulgent and hit on this spots where people like are just craving those like things they'll have over and over again and i think you know it's a tricky one because like i think just we have to also make those flavors super unique and interesting as well so it's you know coming up with the a way a fun twist on a traditional flavor that people really like but making it special and new and kind of reinventing it and that's sort of where a lot of our flavor inspiration comes now it's funny that you talk about it in that way i i feel like it's so weird i see a lot of parallels with the recipe development that I did when I first started my site to now it's in the beginning, you're much more creative because in like a farmer's market, I feel like attracts um, a more adventurous eater. And yeah. back when I started my site, you know, 
people who wrote food blogs were definitely the adventurous eaters, you know, what people would call foodies. Mm -hmm. And so you would create like these outlandish recipes that no one really would search for online. Um, but nowadays your focus is well, most people who do what I do, they try to focus on what people are looking for. So there's that balance of being creative and also appealing mm -hmm. to the masses, which I, it's so fun to see that parallel with you guys. All right. What's yeah. your favorite flavors? I have to know because we keep talking about these amazing <laughs> flavors, but I want to know what your favorites are. That's so hard. I mean, I feel like it really does depend on your mood. I, I got to tell you, I, I, it's so funny because it, it just changes. Um, but right now I'm really into the mango coconut. That mm. is just, it's hard to beat that flavor combo. Are there chunks of coconut in it? No, so it's a the the mango is the sorbet on the inside, and it's okay. just this bright, juicy mango with a little bit, um, a little touch of passion fruit. So it's got a little note of that, yeah. and then it's coated in a creamy coconut sort of white chocolatey shell with crisps. So it's got that like you know that crackle kind of like uh, candy bar kind of experience, but with like a creamy coconut and bright mango. Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah, it's really delicious. Deborah, what's yours? hard. <laughs> I was like, I love all my babies. <laughs> I, um, I, I think my favorite has always also been the mango coconut, which is interesting. Um, we both have a similar, I like it cause it's like super tart and creamy at the same time. Um, but I also love the wild berry with dark chocolate cause the dark chocolate is like just really delicious dark chocolate. So your first bite is dark chocolate and it's creamy and it's, you know, it's, you know, dairy free, but it has this like nice and creamy note to it. And then you, as it's as you're as it's passing through your palate, you get this sort of brightness, tartness, and sweetness of the wild berry, which is like a mixture of you know strawberries and blueberries and blackberries. And that that sorbet com like complements the dark chocolate so nicely. So that's one of my favorite flavors as well. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah, it's, it's funny because it really, um, the whole experience is just about layers of flavor and texture, which is what we had tried to achieve with the bars because we were doing that with the pints. And so it was like, how do you get these, you know, these different layers? Because it's about complexity, right? And, and, and trying to deliver that. So um, I feel like Deborah's done such a great job creating this lineup. Yeah. So I am so excited to try it. Unfortunately, it's not available near me yet. Oh, um, we're going to send you a box. Please. Oh, thank you. But I know that people can order online. So yes. maybe you can yeah. tell everybody about that. Yeah. So we have all the flavors available online. Uh, really good shipping rates. I think $20 for uh, two-day shipping, which is not bad for a frozen yeah. package. Um, and you order boxes of six just because otherwise it's really inefficient. I mean, you don't want to pay $20 to ship one box. So we found <laughs> that boxes of six are going to be the best. But there's four bars per box. Um, and if people are worried about freezer space, just take them out of the box and just put them in your freezer in the little plastic bags that they're in. And, and yeah, it can fit a lot in there. Do you have any nuggets of wisdom for other women entrepreneurs who might be listening? I, I'd say... I don't know. My, my negative business is the idea of balance is just, it's kind of, it doesn't really exist, but you should always be striving for it. Like you're always going to, yeah. you're always going to be slightly out of balance when it's going to take like fit. Cause I have three children. I know Erin, you have two and mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, it's, you're either going to feel like you're neglecting your business or you're neglecting your family, <laughs> but you just got to like constantly ping pong back and forth and know that it always ebbs and flows and never to beat yourself up too much about one way or another, because the only thing constant is that that will change and it will flip the other way. And I think just, you know, believe that you can have all the things that you want to have, but know that it's, it's never going to, 
it's never going to feel like you can exhale and everything is just going to flow on its own. Like it's, it's, you know, it's a constant journey of upkeep. Yeah. So true. Deborah, anything for us? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like our biggest thing is just like, we never, it's like, we just didn't quit. Like we just kept going. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's like, it's hard, you know, there's obviously a point when things just aren't working and you have to like move, but a lot of times you can like pivot and move in a different direction. And like, I think that, you know, a lot of times like something didn't work that we worked on really hard and we knew that it wasn't the end all be all. Like we knew that we could figure out a way to pivot and switch into another gear or change our business model a little bit to figure out how to adjust. And I think it takes a really long time to be successful and to be able to say like, and I don't know if any entrepreneurs ever like, I made it, you know, like they're probably, <laughs> most people are probably always like, striving to the next level and do it, you know, what is the definition of success is like, you know, very vague for every person. I don't know, maybe some people have very distinct, you know, definitions of success. But I think it's hard to, to not just like keep going and keep that momentum going and find a way to, to like work through all the problems and the challenges. And I think that's something Nicole, like, I really respect Nicole's, like, you know, ability to really push to things to and like, make sure we get it done. And sometimes both of us have had moments where we're ready to walk away. But luckily, the other one was there to say, Nope, let's just we're, we're going to get through this, we're going to get through this. And so far we have. So it's yeah, it's funny, too, because Deborah, you say that I feel like one of the biggest benefits to our business. And why I, I really think that the reason why we've been successful for 10 years is that we have this wonderful partnership. And you hear these horrific stories about partnerships that take down a business. And so I feel like, I at the same time would caution anyone going into a business with a partner because you know you do hear the tour stories and you are getting married to that person and mm -hmm. you just really don't know what's going to come out of the woodwork until you know things get crazy. But um, I also don't know how anybody does it alone. I feel like if you're, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have Deborah for the hard times or I just have questions all the time like is this right? Is this right? And having a sounding board. So if you don't have a partner, I think having just a really good support network that is willing to listen to you because you'll be talking about it a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's, that's key support always. That's true. As a support person who's outside of your family, who's, who gets it because even your own family, as much as they know you and love you, they may not get it. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. And, it, you know, and then there's personal things there too. So they might be your biggest fan, no matter if you're doing something wrong or right, not, not right. want, you know, see that. So yeah. true. I love chatting with you guys, but unfortunately we're running out of time, but I have some closing questions for both of you, if you don't mind. What's something you make when you're too tired to cook and it's your emergency go-to dinner? Sorbet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> the sorbet bar. I know oh. mine. It's easy. It's, it's something you, like, so my thing is always have stuff in your cupboard that you can make into dinner. Like, so it doesn't have to have anything fresh. The only thing that I think is fresh in this meal is an onion, which most of the time I always have like an onion at the bottom of my fridge somewhere, even if I haven't <laughs> gone shopping in weeks. Um, so I make, I, I grew up eating like as a kid, beans and rice, like a lot. And it was, it was like a, it, my grandmother would make, like she'd saute an onion, add a can of like strained can of beans. It could be like cannoli beans or, you know, chickpeas or, you know, not black beans, probably just like a white bean. And then we will before and she'd add a can of tomato sauce, which is like so basic, 
just like a can of tomato sauce to the sauteed onions, make that into like a little bit of a sauce, add the can of beans, season it up with like paprika and, you know, and I, I put garlic, but she didn't use garlic as a kid. And I add, you know, just salt and pepper and then make it into this like nice kind of like saucy bean dish and then make rice with it. And it's like, for me, that's my comfort food because it's just like so simple. It's not anything special at all. And it's, you know, it's vegetarian, vegan, like it's just like a great, you know, easy thing that has protein, it's like a perfect protein. So my kids love it. I love it. So it's like my, yeah, my go-to. And it sounds so not gourmet, but if you have it, try it. It's super delicious. <laughs> that sounds so good. Does sound good. Um, for me, I feel like I always have veggies. Like there's always something that's like in the back of the drawer or something. And I just go and I find whatever. And like, I just throw them all into a saute pan and I saute them up and put them over rice and an Instapot's my best friend because I use that for my rice maker. And I just, I always have rice. So always on hand. So veggies and rice sautés, like any kind of whatever is in the fridge, just saute it up, even like leftovers, no matter how they're cooked, just throw them in a pan. <laughs> them up <with> rice. <laughs> yeah. So good. Are you guys both plant-based? Cause I know your treats are, but do you also eat plant-based in outside life? Um, I'm trying to be, um, more plant-based. I feel like every year I just almost naturally become more uh, plant-based. I wouldn't say I'm vegan. I still eat, you know, I still eat dairy and, and certain things. Um, although like, like you, I don't think dairy is sitting very well with me. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's unfortunate, but, um, I, uh, yeah, I just feel like it's, um, I don't know. I get fulfilled with so many other things. I don't really miss meat as much. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm just like, I used to call myself like a, a trietarian because I would like eat vegetarian or even vegan and then like occasionally because I was a chef and I like, I have to taste things. Yeah. But so now at this point in my life, I'm like, you know, I really, I think as much as I can, I eat vegan and the more like, there's moments where I'm out and I'll taste something or try something, but I'll always like try to order on the menu something that's vegan and at home it's really easy to cook that way for my family I think the only thing that I do do is buy eggs at the farmer's market and like I know the farmer and I know where they're from and I feel like they're really well you know I'm just very careful of like if I ever bring plant non-plant-based things into my diet where they're from and what you know how the animals were treated and those things are really important so I think when there's an alternative I think everyone should go for it. You know, like you don't, we don't need to rely on meat and dairy as much as we do as a country. So I think it's like my, our whole goal and my goal is a, you know, plant-based food manufacturers, like just to make really delicious food that, so nobody like really needs to think like, oh, I, I'm missing out on anything. Like this is actually even better than ice cream or better than, you know, the dairy alternative for it. And so that's really our mission and goal. Part of what our business has been based on is to, to make a delicious treat that just happens to be, vegan and dairy free. And like, we're super proud of that because it tastes as delicious as good as any dairy option. Yeah, I think you're gonna convince a lot of people. What's the one recipe that you guys treasure the most? Uh, the one that came to mind first, cause there's probably a lot, um, but I have, a, I have a bunch of family recipes and I grew up eating, like my family calls them biyukus. They're kind of like spanakopita with, so it's spinach and cheese, which is, you know, like I've, I've found alternatives for it, but make those with like you can make either filo dough from your freezer or because that's easy to buy now but we make like this really easy dough it's my family calls it masafina and it's just literally one cup of oil one cup of water and probably about four cups of flour and that just turns into kind of like a pastry dough and or pastry pastry like it's, you kind of don't mix it so it's 
to, you kind of let it so it's not too mixed and that you make into little sort of pockets so we roll them out into circles and then make little triangles and you fill it with spinach and those like are my also a comfort food for me they're obviously not a quick dinner <laughs> it takes a while to make them but they're so they're just like one of my favorite recipes that have been passed down in my family that sounds good. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't I don't think I have anything. Although I, I will say my family's favorite dish every time, like I'm making this for dinner tonight, is enchiladas. They make a really good red enchilada sauce that you put on anything, and it will make it taste amazing. So my kids love that. I even make nachos with it. I just like pour a sauce on there. So, so we have to share that recipe, Nicole. Yeah, yeah it's, I didn't this. This is it's new so easy, and it's yeah, my kids love it. You can put it on anything, and they love it. So yeah, yeah, it's super versatile could use it on a lot of things. Yeah. Are you guys messy or neat in the kitchen? Oh, I'm super neat. I can't function in a dis disorganized mm -hmm. kitchen and I constantly cleaning the whole time. I'm like a super fast worker. So like as I'm cooking, I'm cleaning and putting things away and yeah. It depends on my mood. Some days <laughs> I'm like on it and I'm like, I'm, and then other days I'm like just like really tired and it's like, okay, let's just get this done. And then I'm like, I leave it to my husband to clean up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, honey, like I'll have to like mess tonight. But other times, like Nicole, I think the best way to cook and the most efficient way to cook is clean up as you go. Cause it's like, it makes it more enjoyable at the end. Cause then you want to sit down to eat and then you're like, oh, I have this huge mess. And I'm like, I, it's like stresses me out that I'm like, I'm going to eat, but I know I have this mess to clean up after. So I think it is a smart way to like clean as you go. And it makes cooking a lot more um, enjoyable for my mind. Yeah, my mind but. For sure. What's a good kitchen tip that you can share? For me, it's all about like the knives because I've gone the opposite direction and I've realized like every time you use your knife, you wash it, dry it, put it right back. Like, you know, don't leave it in the sink, don't leave it out, like clean it right away and it'll last so much longer. And knives are like- yeah, Or don't put your knives in your dishwasher. Cause it, you know, the reason is, is it like chips, you know, like it makes the knife less, um, less sharp. Sorry, I cut you off, Nicole. <laughs> no, but that's it. It's really just about like proper knife care. I feel like my father got into Japanese knives for a while and he got me these like beautiful, really expensive knives. And I learned really quickly, like you got to take care of these, um, you know, and it's such a, it's like the most important kitchen tool, in my opinion, is a good knife. So. Yeah. And it's safer when you yeah. keep them sharp. Yes. Totally. <laughs> totally. I think my thing is that's a lot of them. I think right now, I don't know, the first thing that popped in my mind when you said that was that I have like a piece of, like underneath my cutting board, I keep like, one of those draw liners, but like, so it doesn't skid. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you can do it with a piece of wet paper towel, but I just have one of like a piece of, of that draw liner that's like the cut the side, it's like a cutting board. I guess they probably sell them like this. I don't even know where I got it. I think I just had a piece of um, that kind of like sticky, like, like the same stuff you put under rugs like that kind of like mesh that has like a, a sticky oh, right. to it. Yes. I, I just reuse that and I keep it on, I keep it in my drawer with my cutting board. And every time I take out my cutting board, I religiously put that down. Cause every time I don't, my cutting board just like moving all around the, like the counter. And it's like a, it's one of those like, just like little things that just makes things so much more efficient when you're not like moving. And it's dangerous too, if your cutting board's moving as your knife is, you know, going. <laughs> and so, um, that's, so that's one smart. thing to have that little piece of, um, I wish I, either of you know the name of it. I feel like it's there's probably it's like a the anti-slip thing. <laughs> I don't even know what it's properly called, but that's what I would search under. <laughs> I mean, that's such a good idea. I'm just gonna go under my rug and clip a little corner out of it. Yeah, <laughs> board, Deborah. I love it. Thanks for the tip. Nobody'll know. <laughs> yeah, super smart. Wash up the dust and like yeah, like, no, I'm just <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and you can just like wash with a sponge because it sometimes gets dirty, but then I just like dry it and then put it back in the drawer and it's just like makes my life much easier. Nice. I love it. Okay, so every week I share five little things, something that made me smile that week. Is there anything that made you smile this week? It's always something that my kids have done or my dog. <laughs> it's just like, I can't imagine like the level of joy. You can't imagine the level of joy until you have like your kids or, or a dog that you love a lot and they just do these silly things that nobody else thinks are precious but you. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> How old are they? Uh, seven, nine, and 10. Oh, so they're definitely at that fun age. Yes, yes. Lots of personality blooming right now. Yeah. <laughs> Deborah, what about you? My, what made me smile this week? Um, right now I'm just like into my garden. So <clears throat> I just think certain like, I don't know, my nasturtiums have just been blooming like crazy. Like there's just like hundreds of nasturtium like flowers growing out. And every time I look back into my backyard, I see this like pop of color. It's just like so beautiful. So that makes any like flowering plants in my garden always just like make me really smile. Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed talking to you both. Where can people find you? Where can they find Sorbabes, maybe locally and elsewhere? Yeah. So um, we are in HEB in Texas. Uh, and then we're in Whole Foods in the Pacific Northwest. And we also just launched into Costco this week. So okay. You find us, yes. In Washington, Oregon, and in Salt Lake, Utah area. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My daughter's at school in Utah, in Salt Lake City. So oh. I am going to load up when I go there in yes. the fall and lots of sorbets in her freezer. Oh, <laughs> that'd be so it. great. Yeah. Well, we'll get you some before then too. Oh, you thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm and so also, excited. Yeah. And available online. We um, we're growing very quickly and have a lot of growth distribution plans for 2023. So I think, um, you know, that will be a, a much bigger opportunity for, for everyone to get their hands on some sorbets. So keep a lookout. Great. And then yeah. are you guys on Instagram? Yes. All the social handles at sorbets. TikTok, Instagram, all the, all the fun stuff, all, all what all the kids are doing these days. Yeah. Oh, you guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really enjoyed talking to you both, and thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you so much for having us. This has been fun. Now that we're deep into summer, all I want is the Sore Babes Bar. I hope you're able to check them out. I want to thank you all for listening, and thanks again to Nicole and Deborah for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate, review, and share it with a friend, and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking.